War and Peace, Book 10, Chapter 6, read for LibriVox.org, by David Rehm. Among the innumerable categories applicable to the phenomena of human life, one may discriminate between those in which substance prevails and those in which form prevails. To the latter, as distinguished from village, country, provincial, or even Moscow life, we may allot Petersburg life, and especially the life of its salons. That life of the salons is unchanging. Since the year 1805, we had made peace and had again quarreled with Bonaparte, and had made constitutions and unmade them again, but the salons of Anna Pavlovna Helene remained just as they had been, the one seven years and the other five years before. At Anna Pavlovna's they talked with perplexity of Bonaparte's successes just as before, and saw in them and in the subservience shown to him by the European sovereigns a malicious conspiracy, the sole object of which was to cause unpleasantness and anxiety to the court circle of which Anna Pavlovna was the representative. And in Helene's salon, which Rumyantsev himself honored with his visits, regarding Helene as a remarkably intelligent woman, they talked with the same ecstasy in 1812 as in 1808 of the great nation and the great man, and regretted our rupture with France, a rupture which, according to them, ought to be promptly terminated by peace. Of late, since the emperor's return from the army, there had been some excitement in these conflicting salon circles, and some demonstrations of hostility to one another, but each camp retained its own tendency. In Anna Pavlovna's circle, only those Frenchmen were admitted who were deep-rooted legitimists, and patriotic views were expressed to the effect that one ought not to go to the French theatre, and that to maintain the French troop was costing the government as much as a whole army corps. The progress of the war was eagerly followed, and only the reports most flattering to our army were circulated. In the French circle of Helene and Rumyantsev, the reports of the cruelty of the enemy and of the war were contradicted, and all Napoleon's attempts at conciliation were discussed. In that circle, they discountenanced those who advised hurried preparations for a removal to Kazan of the court and the girls' educational establishments under the patronage of the Dowager Empress. In Helene's circle, the war in general was regarded as a series of formal demonstrations which would very soon end in peace, and the view prevailed expressed by Bilibin, who now in Petersburg was quite at home in Helene's house, which every clever man was obliged to visit, that not by gunpowder, but by those who invented it would matters be settled. In that circle, the Moscow enthusiasm, news of which had reached Petersburg simultaneously with the Emperor's return, was ridiculed sarcastically and very cleverly, though with much caution. Anna Pavlovna's circle, on the contrary, was enraptured by this enthusiasm and spoke of it as Plutarch speaks of the deeds of the ancients. Prince Vasily, who still occupied his former important posts, formed a connecting link between these two circles. He visited his good friend Anna Pavlovna, as well as his daughter's diplomatic salon, and often in his constant comings and goings between the two camps became confused and said at Helene's what he should have said at Anna Pavlovna's, and vice versa. Soon after the emperor's return, Prince Vasily, in a conversation about the war at Anna Pavlovna's, severely condemned Barclay de Tolly, but was undecided as to who ought to be appointed commander-in-chief. One of the visitors, usually spoken of as a man of great merit, having described how he had that day seen Kutuzov, the newly chosen chief of the Petersburg militia, presiding over the enrollment of recruits at the treasury, cautiously ventured to suggest that Kutuzov would be the man to satisfy all requirements. 
Anna Pavlovna remarked with a melancholy smile that Kutuzov had done nothing but cause the emperor annoyance. I have talked and talked at the assembly of the nobility, Prince Vasily interrupted, but they did not listen to me. I told them his election as chief of the militia would not please the emperor. They did not listen to me. It's all this mania for opposition, he went on. And who for? It is all because we want to ape the foolish enthusiasm of the Muscovites, Prince Vasily continued, forgetting for a moment that though at Helene's one had to ridicule the Moscow enthusiasm, at Anna Pavlovna's one had to be ecstatic about it. But he retrieved his mistake at once. Now is it suitable that Count Kutuzov, the oldest general in Russia, should preside at that tribunal? He will get nothing for his pains. How could they make a man commander-in-chief who cannot mount a horse, who drops asleep at council, and has the very worst morals? A good reputation he made for himself at Bucharest. I don't speak of his capacity as a general, but at a time like this, how they appoint a decrepit, blind old man, positively blind, a fine idea to have a blind general. He can't see anything. To play blind man's bluff, he can't see at all. No one replied to his remarks. This was quite correct on the 24th of July, but on the 29th of July, Kutuzov received the title of prince. This might indicate a wish to get rid of him, and therefore Prince Vasily's opinion continued to be correct, though he was not now in any hurry to express it. But on the 8th of August, a committee, consisting of Field Marshal Saltykov, Arakchiev, Vyazmitinov, Lopuchkin, and Kochubi, met to consider the progress of the war. This committee came to the conclusion that our failures were due to a want of unity in the command, and though the members of the committee were aware of the emperor's dislike of Kutuzov, after a short deliberation they agreed to advise his appointment as commander-in-chief. That same day Kutuzov was appointed commander-in-chief with full powers over the armies and over the whole region occupied by them. On the 9th of August, Prince Vasily at Anna Pavlovna's again met the man of great merit. The latter was very attentive to Anna Pavlovna because he wanted to be appointed director of one of the educational establishments for young ladies. Prince Vasily entered the room with the air of a happy conqueror who has attained the object of his desires. Well, have you heard the great news? Prince Kutuzov is field marshal. All dissensions are at an end. I am so glad, so delighted. At last we have a man. And he, glancing sternly and significantly round at everyone in the drawing room. The man of great merit, despite his desire to obtain the post of director, could not refrain from reminding Prince Vasily of his former opinion. Though this was impolite to Prince Vasily in Anna Pavlovna's drawing-room, and also to Anna Pavlovna herself, who had received the news with delight, he could not resist the temptation. But, Prince, they say he is blind, said he, reminding Prince Vasily of his own words. Eh? Nonsense! He sees well enough, said Prince Vasily rapidly, in a deep voice and with a slight cough the voice and cough with which he was wont to dispose of all difficulties. He sees well enough, he added. And what I am so pleased about, he went on, is that our sovereign has given him full powers over all the armies in the whole region, powers no commander-in-chief ever had before. He's a second autocrat, he concluded with a victorious smile. God grant it, God grant it, said Anna Pavlovna, the man of great merit, who was still a novice in court circles, wishing to flatter Anna Pavlovna by defending her former position on the question, observed, It is said that the emperor was reluctant to give Kutuzov those powers. They say he blushed like a girl to whom Jaconde is read, when he said to Kutuzov, Your emperor and the fatherland award you this honor. 
Perhaps the heart took no part in that speech, said Anna Pavlovna. Oh, no, no, warmly rejoined Prince Vasily, who would not now yield Kutuzov to anyone. In his opinion, Kutuzov was not only admirable himself, but was adored by everybody. No, that's impossible, said he, for our sovereign appreciated him so highly before. God grant only that Prince Kutuzov assumes real power and does not allow anyone to put a spoke in his wheel, observed Anna Pavlovna. Understanding at once to whom she alluded, Prince Vasily said in a whisper, I know for a fact that Kutuzov made it an absolute condition that the Tsvarovich should not be with the army. Do you know what he said to the emperor? And Prince Vasily repeated the words supposed to have been spoken by Kutuzov to the emperor. I can neither punish him if he does wrong, nor reward him if he does right. Oh, a very wise man is Prince Kutuzov. I have known him a long time. They even say, remarked the man of great merit, who did not yet possess courtly tact, that His Excellency made it an express condition that the sovereign himself should not be with the army. As soon as he said that, both Prince Vasily and Anna Pavlovna turned away from him and glanced sadly at one another with a sigh at his naivete. End of chapter 6 Read by David F-O-U-R-T-E-A-T-O-O dot blogspot dot com